This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people are saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, good evening. You're listening to The Cable at five o'clock in the City of London. As John Farrow just said, a historic moment from which there can be no turning back. Good evening, everybody. I'm Guy Johnson. It seems as if we do have the outline of a Brexit trade deal. A historic moment if this is confirmed. Bloomberg News flashing at 4.10 this afternoon uh, that the outline of the deal has been reached. But we now await official confirmation. We now await the details of that deal because the details are going to be important. It's going to be fascinating to see uh, just where ground was seeded in the final hours to get this deal across the line before Christmas. Uh, a huge moment uh, in terms of British political life. But also this afternoon news as well that we have seen a record number of COVID cases over the last 24 hours. This is the new variant sweeps across the country as a result of which Matt Hancock has announced further restrictions uh, in many parts of the UK. In terms of the market reaction, well, the British pounds um, up on the news, actually up, up before the news came out and in, tes- on anticipation, in anticipation of that news. Uh, but actually, they're not going really anywhere. I think the market is really looking for confirmation here. So we're trading on the cable rate 135.10. We're up by around 1.1%. Uh, but we're off our highs, which I think is significant. A lot of people have got 140, 145 on the back of a trade deal being done. We are not there yet. Where we are is a big move as well. In the bond market, a 13 basis point move in terms of the UK 30-year, which is uh, now trading at spot 85. Uh, We are seeing a similar move over in the States, not quite so big, but a big move at the back end of the curve. Uh, We're up by 4.8 basis points. But in terms of the move there, actually, again, in terms of a yield move, we are off our highs. So a historic day potentially for the UK, uh, a difficult day for the UK, certainly, uh, because we already know the headlines on COVID and we already know the restrictions that are going to be put in place. Let's bring it all together here with the headlines. Charlie, Hi, thank you very much indeed. Lots going on today, Guy, and great reason to keep it locked into Bloomberg Radio. Officials say the outline of a post-Brexit trade agreement has been reached. As Guy mentioned, they say negotiators still putting the finishing touches to an accord. Other officials, however, are cautioning that a deal is yet to be finalized and any announcement could be some hours away. Prime Minister Boris Johnson and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen have intervened personally in recent days, holding several phone conversations in a last-ditch bid to reach an agreement before the UK leaves the single market at the end of the month. Vital trade and travel links between the UK and continental Europe slowly reopened after France eased border restrictions, but huge backlogs that could take days to clear led to tensions at Britain's busiest port near Dover. Police clashed with some lorry drivers, angry that they've been waiting since Saturday and are trying to get home for Christmas. Many are lined up for coronavirus tests that they need for passage into France. Prime Minister Johnson, meanwhile, imposing tougher restrictions across a wide swath of England in an effort to rein in the mutant strain of coronavirus that is spreading quickly across the country. Germany's coronavirus deaths rose by 986, the most since the start of the pandemic. Busy day, lots going on. Back to you now, Guy Johnson in London. 
Thank you very much. Indeed, Charlie Pellet. So, to recap, uh, 16.10, 10 minutes past four, we got the headline that the outline of a deal has been done between the United Kingdom and the European Union. There had been a lot of speculation over the last few days that a deal would not get done, but it looks as if we have at least achieved the outline. The details are going to be important. Let's figure out exactly where we go, not only with the politics, but also with the markets. Uh, Joining us now on the line, David Merritt, Bloomberg Senior Executive Editor uh, and a good friend of this show, Bloomberg's Vince Signorella as well. Uh, David, let me start with you. Um, We have the outline. Um, Is that all we know at this point? When are we expecting further details to come through? Yeah, that is the big question we're all uh, furiously reporting on now. It seems, yes, the outline is the key word. What does that mean? It means that some of these big gaps in the the positions of the negotiating teams that we've all been talking about for some weeks now seem to have been um, broached. They've found a landing zone, crucially on things like the fishing rights, on things like the level, what they call the level playing field, so the handling of state aid uh, going forward. Now, what we don't still have is the actual details of that. Who has blinked? In what way? What compromises have been made? We know some compromises have been made, but we don't know the details. And then, crucially, has it been approved? As, uh, as we're saying in our story on the Bloomberg Terminal, you know, Boris Johnson has yet to put his final stamp of approval on this agreement and Ursula von der Leyen on the EU side. So, you know, with all the caveats that still, you know, and goodness knows we've had enough um, uh, lapse deadlines and, and reverses in this process, with all the caveats that things could still yet fall apart. Broadly, this is a big moment because we have broached those big um, differences, which both sides have been saying were very difficult to do only a few days ago. David, over the last few days, we've seen the port closure down in Dover um, occupying a a lot of column inches. And the concern was that this was what a no-deal Brexit was going to look like. Do you think that may have focused minds on the UK side? Well, that was certainly one theory that this this could have done. And of course, you know, those front pages of the press and all those images of the backed up trucks up the motorway and the real fear that we might start seeing shortages of food in the shops around Christmas uh, maybe did sharpen some minds. But it's interesting, the reaction to that whole situation, it just I, I think it really shows how divided the country still is. If you were on the Remain side of the Brexit debate, you said, well, look, this is the, the folly of, of isolating yourself from Europe, as uh, demonstrated. If you're on the other side, say, look, with, with friends like these, with the French blockading the ports, shows that we, we're better off without them. So, you know, really you can interpret that um, either way. Um, you know, the government, clear, you know, pains to point out it had nothing to do with politics. This was purely a situation uh, brought about by the pandemic. But, you know, the coincidence of that happening just before the end of, and the symbolism really of seeing those, that chaos at Dover um, really, uh, you know, no doubt has not um, hindered the government's um, uh, intention to get something done before Christmas. And, you know, uh, just a week to go until we leave the single market, um, you know, it does seem that that deal has been reached. And I would, you know, repeat, you know, that is a historic moment. We've been talking about this for what feels like a lifetime, but, you know, it's been four years, of course, um, of negotiations to get to this point. And um, finally, it seems it's done. And Boris Johnson will be hoping that he can, you know, he won that election a year ago on getting Brexit done. This year has been rather 
uh, sidetracked with the pandemic, but he's going to hope now he can come back with a deal and really start to look forward um, and move the country onwards. Vince, let me bring you into the conversation. 135 on yeah. cable. 135. That's not a big reaction. In fact, I was expecting much, much more on these headlines. David was alluding to the fact that we still don't have the details. When we get the details, do you think cable goes higher? No, I'm, I'm not so sure it goes a great deal higher, to be honest. I mean, the market was very, very long sterling. There was a lot of uh, downside uh, protection being bought in the options market uh, to protect against the long trade. I think uh, it's it prudent going into the Christmas holiday and the long holiday week. You probably see a lot of offers out there from those who were long uh, long sterling as, you know, in, inevitably their option positions will probably roll off no later than most likely the first week of January. Um, and so you're going to see traders having to get out of the long position, which they held uh, as the downside risk starts to roll off. Um, also, this is an interesting level where we seem to have stopped. 135 post-Brexit was a, a big consolidation level. We traded basically 132, 137 for a while. So I think what you're looking at or what you're likely to see is that 132, 137 level reestablish itself as a consolidation place until we get a further idea going forward how the UK fares economically post-Brexit uh, and and what that does to the, the U.S. economy. We'll also probably see the Bank of England uh, take their foot off the gas a little bit uh, with this, not necessarily changing any policy at the moment, but it's highly unlikely unless you see a major economic hit um, from the virus to, to see yeah. the Bank of England get involved at this point. Well, it's, it's interesting. That that hit could be coming. I, it does seem as if the, the case count here in the UK is climbing and climbing alarmingly rapidly. We've just seen a, a record being posted today and further restrictions being applied uh, to the population. So it looks as if the, the economic numbers and the possibility of kind of a big economic hit at the beginning of next year has got to be there. Um, David Merritt, thank you. What a busy day you're going to be having. Uh, have had, going to continue to have. Thank you very much indeed. Bloomberg's David Merritt, Vince Signorella. Stick around if you will. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. A couple of stories really kind of uh, driving the agenda at the moment. Actually, I would say probably three stories driving the agenda at the moment. Brexit, certainly over the last couple of hours. Uh, What is happening with COVID, obviously an ongoing theme and further restrictions being applied here in the UK. Um, The the third story is that we still still don't have a deal stateside on the, uh, the, the the latest rescue package. I'm, I'm kind of always loath to call it a stimulus package, uh, but we did have a $900 billion deal done between the Republicans uh, and the Democrats in uh, Congress. But the president now thinks that the checks are too small uh, and he's threatening to veto it. Uh, we got this news uh, via a, a video tweet yesterday from the president. The market seems to have looked through it. The market seems to be maybe that Trump is bluffing. Vince Signorella is still with us. Vince, what do you make of this? I think he's uh, very much thrown Mitch McConnell under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the leader of the Republican Senate. I mean, the, the Pelosi jumped on that immediately, the, the Speaker of the House, the Democrats, saying, all for it, let's go. Throw it in there and sign it. It's going to be difficult for McConnell to resell this to um, Republican senators. He has always stated that a a trillion-plus bill would be impossible to sell. So you're at 908 
if you don't take from Peter to pay Paul to get this uh, extra stimulus update, it's going to be difficult for him to get on board. I think the only way he can get on board is to say, well, we need to cut something else in order to do that. Now, I imagine that's what the conversation is with Senate um, Republican leaders at the moment. They've been mum on this. Um, it's a little surprising that they haven't made any comment either for or against. I imagine they're trying to figure out a politically um, winnable argument uh, in, in order to state their objection to this. Otherwise, they would have jumped on it immediately and said, let's just add it and go. One of the things that that is still ongoing stateside is the the Georgia runoff on the fifth of January, and that's that's a really big event because were the Democrats to win both seats in that runoff, they would then control the Senate, which would be huge and could unleash a huge amount of stimulus uh, if the Biden administration didn't have one hand tied behind its back. I just just kind of how are these two factors do you think interacting? Do you think there's a danger that the Republicans are looking at this and thinking, wow, if if these checks don't go out, a lot of people are going to be pretty cross in Georgia and that might work against us. I think you make an extraordinary point. That is I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think that's what they're trying to figure out at the moment as to how they can get around this because I don't think there is a way around it. I think you're absolutely right. Uh so far the voting has been the pre the the pre-votes, uh, the ballots have been at records. That suggests, uh, you know, from pundits that that means more Democrats than Republicans are coming out, similar to the way it happened in the presidential election. Uh, I think that's what the markets are looking through at the moment today as well. They're, we're up on the idea that if this doesn't go out now, exactly as you said, there's a better than chance than not that the Republicans will lose the Senate, that Biden will be have total control uh, with the House and the Senate behind him. And there have been estimates from some that the stimulus bill would would be even higher than Pelosi's original $3.5 trillion, could be somewhere in the $5 trillion range. That happening would be a huge boost to the economy and a big blow to uh, bonds and rates. Yeah, I think there'd be there'd be an epic amount of supply going out of the uh, the door or being provided for the markets, as you say. Uh, that could be uh, that could be something that would send yields sharply higher and and potentially, obviously, uh, cause the Fed to react. It'd be interesting to see whether the Fed would react ultimately to that. Uh, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Vince, stick around. I think we, I think we need to kind of talk about what happens in 2021 and get your ideas uh, of what really is going to be important next year. Inflation is a conversation that I'm having with a lot of people at the moment. If we are going to continue to see stimulus with the, uh, the vaccine being rolled out as well, that could be a heady combination that could provide some inflationary impulse next year. We'll talk about that with Vince next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. 18 minutes past the hour, 18 minutes past five uh, here in the UK. Let's talk about what next year is going to look like and what the big threats potentially could be to this kind of market consensus that stocks are going to drift high, that we get a weaker dollar, uh, and that uh, ultimately you're probably better off positioning outside of the United States than inside of the United States. Still with us, uh, a good friend of this show, uh, Bloomberg's Vince Signorella. 
Vince, I want to talk about the kind of the threats, the kind of almost known unknowns that we need to be thinking about for next year, because this, there, there is this kind of horrible consensus, basically, that stocks are going to continue to push higher, that we're going to see a rotation towards value, uh, that we're ultimately going to see a, a weaker dollar, uh, and that, uh, that you're better off putting money to work outside the United States. There are a number of potential threats to that, and I'm just going to, let's kind of talk about them a little bit. One that, that I think is occupying more and more minds at the moment is the possibility that given the fact that we have a vaccine rollout that so far seems to be going okay. We could get the J&J vaccine as well, which is a single shot, and it's also easier to distribute. The Astra vaccine could be coming as well. So the vaccine program could really get underway at the same time that there is still a lot of stimulus in the system. And the concern here is that this could ultimately be inflationary. How big a threat do you think that is? Uh, I think it's a very big threat. Let's, Let's put things in perspective. Excuse me. Uh, The total uh, U.S. outstanding debt at the moment, uh, as of a month or so ago, is twenty-seven trillion dollars. If the election goes the way of the Democrats, which I I would not bet against, uh, and and we see, I think we would see a minimum of the initial Nancy Pelosi uh, stimulus deal of three and a half trillion. So we're going to be north of thirty trillion dollars. We're going to be putting money in the hands of a lot of people who tend to spend it right away. You know, when you when you send out these stimulus checks, and you're going to probably send out another batch if you get an all-democratic uh, sweep, um, the, these funds go into the hands of folks who are pretty much paycheck to paycheck or people who are out of work who have to spend the money. And so there's going to be a bit of, a, I think, a bidding war when it comes to assets and prices. And Again, with the U.S. tenure likely to go to the one and a half, two percent range, if we see a huge stimulus bill come out, um, you, there are a lot of things that can upset that short dollar trade, and the market is very much short dollars. So you see real yields jump in the United States, yeah. and if you see coincident inflation jump in the United States, you'll then eventually see the Fed make some sort of a move. More likely tapers and buying as opposed to raising rates. But it will be a very attractive place for real yields for dollar investors. And I think, uh, I, I think people will, will uh, there's a good chance of getting spanked on that short dollar trade after the initial reaction that the dollar won't be needed as a haven. So you're likely yeah. to be a, a sell-off. But then uh, I would think a lot of people will come in and see that as an opportunity to get out of shorts, buy the dollar, and go the other way with it. Well, there's always this kind of idea that you get this dollar smile, that at one end you you have, as you say, the safe haven play when, when the world's going to hell in a handbasket, you basically buy the dollar because it's the place to hang out. Um, the, the other end of the smile is when the US is outperforming. And I wonder whether or not there is the possibility that actually from an economic point of view, we all realize that in the United in 2021, the U.S. economy is probably better positioned than, than everybody else. Uh, as you say, huge amount of stimulus potentially kicking in. Um, I, there are many that question uh, what is happening here in Europe. Uh, the Europe has managed to, to in some ways, cross the Rubicon and provide itself with, with mutual debt, but it could just be a one-off. And, and to be honest, the numbers aren't particularly big. And the challenge is absolutely enormous. So I'm wondering from an economic point of view, whether or not you believe that the US will do better next year and whether the other side of the smile will actually therefore become more dominant. 
I, I do. I think, uh, I think again, it really depends on the, the Georgia Senate races. Uh, at the moment, they're really, really tight. The last poll I looked at yesterday, 538, had both Democrats ahead by basically one half of one percentage point, which is well within statistical margin of error. So, you know, anything can happen in these races. But if um, I think if, if markets and, and individuals basically see that their chances are better with uh, Democrats with a clean sweep, I think you're going to see massive stimulus. I think you're going to see exactly that situation where U.S. and U.S. companies will outperform because with that spending comes higher earnings, and with the higher earnings comes higher multiples, and you know all, all boats will float until the time it catches up to you when yep. you're looking at a north of $30 trillion deficit and who's going to pay for it. But we'll worry about that another day. day yeah, exactly. I think that's what's on everybody's mind. That's on Powell's mind as well. He said, we'll worry about the deficit, yep. you know, when we worry about the deficit, not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. So until the U.S. economy is really back on its pre-pandemic footing, yeah, um, I think okay, we're going to well, outperform. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Do you, is there a danger, though, that the bond market bullies the Fed into raising rates, that, that you see yields climbing from the kind of sub-1% where we are now, relatively quickly up to around 2% or in, in north of 2%. Do you think if we get the 10-year north of 2%, that the, that the Fed is going to be under pressure, as you say, potentially to taper, and we've seen what can happen with tantrums around that, or even more aggressively raise rates? Well, I think it, it, it would depend on where the inflation issue comes if the inflation follows. Um, I don't know that inflation would follow that rapidly. So initially, I think what we would probably see them do is a little bit of a taper. Uh, but there'd be really no rush to do that unless inflation were pressing. What it will show then is if inflation doesn't move up, this big um, real yield advantage to holding U.S. assets. And I think that's where the, the short dollar trade gets sort of spanked in 2021. How high could the dollar get? Uh, uh, I mean, we were uh, recently, what, at a 11.60 on the Bloomberg dollar index or so? Uh, yep. Not too long ago. Let's say in September was up around, uh, let's say, call it 11.80, and we're at 11.27 now. So, yep. you know, 53 points in the Bloomberg dollar index is a big move. And there's no reason why it can't re- recapture that sort of, uh, if we go back to pre-pandemic, uh, we're, we're looking at about 1,200. Vince, have a happy holiday. Stay safe, my friend. Thank you very much indeed, as ever. Bloomberg's Vince Signorella. Uh, up next, we'll talk more about what is happening with this Brexit story. Marcus Ashworth is going to be joining us. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. It is 5.30 in the City of London. I'm Guy Johnson. Um, We've had a a really interesting afternoon in terms of uh, the news flow and the market reaction to it. Um, So this afternoon, Matt Hancock announcing sweeping changes to the tiering system. Uh, Large areas that were in Tier 2, Tier 3 are now going to be moving up to Tier 4. This as we see a record number of cases uh, in the last 24 hours here in the UK. The new variant, obviously, causing the damage there. But the bigger piece of news, arguably, in some ways, is confirmation from EU officials, according to Bloomberg News, that the outline of a Brexit deal has been done. We are awaiting, though, final details. And there is still 
the possibility uh, that there is a slip between cup and lip and we end up not getting this deal done. But it looks at the moment... Uh, as if a deal has been done. In terms of the market reaction to all of that, well, the the, the British pound initially spiking higher. Well, actually, the news came um, after we saw that spike. So in anticipation of that news, the pound moving higher, 135 we got to, just north of 135. But we're now fading that move, 134.77. The market may be looking for official confirmation that the deal has been done and some of the details surrounding uh, where ground has been given. Uh, we did see a significant move as well in the uh, the UK 30-year, the, the bond market moving there uh, by 13.1 basis points. In terms of the reaction in the equity market, well, the FTSE 100 at the close up by 7 tenths of 1% at 64.95. Uh, the FTSE is kind of torn between um, two factors here, one of which is uh, what is going on with the uh, the pound and the effect that it has on domestic stocks and the kind of the domestic narrative. Uh, and then there's the effects of the pound on the international companies and the the kind of the revenue stream that needs to be recalculated. The FTSE 250 probably a better gauge uh, of how domestic sentiment is today, and that was up at the close by 1.74%. Uh, so a busy, busy afternoon, a busy early evening here in the UK. As I say, details still to follow on the outline of the agreement that has been agreed by the EU and the United Kingdom. Let's get all the details in terms of the headlines that we should be watching. Here's Charlie Powell. Hi, thank you very much, Kai Johnson. Historic indeed. Officials say the outline of a post-Brexit trade agreement has been reached. They say negotiators are still putting the finishing touches to an accord. Others, however, caution that the deal is yet to be finalized and any announcement could be some hours away. Vital trade and travel links between the UK and continental Europe slowly reopened after France eased border restrictions, but huge backlogs that could take days to clear led to tension at Britain's busiest port near Dover. Police clash with some truckers, angry that they have been waiting since Saturday and are now trying to get home for Christmas. Many are lined up for coronavirus tests that they need for passage into France. Meanwhile, the UK is reporting 39,237 new virus cases, the most since the pandemic began. The love-struck man who made the four-and-a-half-hour journey by jet ski from Scotland to the Isle of Man is now out of jail. He made that trip, he said, so he could see his girlfriend. Dale McLaughlin served part of a four-week sentence for violating quarantine rules. After leaving the jet ski on a beach, he then walked 15 miles to see his girlfriend, who says, yes, she wants to marry him. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much indeed. So a lot of news to digest here in the UK, trying to figure out what it all means. Um, let's bring in Marcus Ashworth, uh, Bloomberg's Marcus Ashworth, to get his take. Marcus, I didn't think we'd be talking for a couple of days, but it seems the news flow has brought us together once again. Um, we, we have the outline of an agreement. Uh, the market reaction quite cautious to all of this. Yes, um, I mean, we are far from sort of done. I think they've, they've probably agreed, by the, by the sounds of it, sort of the bulk of it now, it's the wording of what they've agreed. So we're not sort of completely out of the woods yet, and there's always, always a chance that something, um, batteries, fish, you know, you name it, uh, could come out of left field and, uh, and delay things or, or perhaps uh, even scupper it completely. But I think for the moment, you can see the way markets reacted. The guilt curve has steepened. So even though you think there'll be less chance of negative rates and therefore, you know, short end yields will jump more, and really it's just a it's just a, a risk on rally into stocks out of bonds. Therefore, the long end of uh, gilts have done 
quite badly today and, and quite novelly. It's, it's managed to move U.S. Treasury yields up. It's not, not very often you see U.K. driving U.K. at the U.S. It's normally the other way around. But um, And likewise, as you mentioned earlier, small cap stocks and inflation stocks uh, have done very well into this close today. Uh, the pound is a little bit more cautious. It's the most uh, easiest way to get liquidity. So uh, there will probably be a bit of sell the fact um, so that's maybe I, I would take, wouldn't get too um, upset if, if, if Stone has rallied too much because I think there's a little bit of, pro- of early profit taking will come on on any actual news because uh, there's a bit more by the rumour for the last well I say the last day or two it's been the last it's been the yep. last month or or more. Um, do you think the the fact that that we are seeing more onerous restrictions being applied in the UK in a record case count do you think that's going to sort of detract uh, from any uh, move that we see to the upside, particularly in Sterling. You and I will will be as of the uh, the end of Boxing Day in the same tier. Yes, well, I'm only um, a half a mile or a mile from from what was those glorious free tier two uh, lands uh, the way you live, but uh, you'll be joining me shortly <laughs> into tier four. Um, but you know, look, it's it's. It, I think that the most pressing thing on the economy by by far is, is, is COVID and obviously these further lockdowns. But the prospect of a vaccine, I mean, the news that uh, Mr. Hancock announced today also included the fact that um, AstraZeneca has got to put all its data bank into approval to the uh, regulatory authority. That might mean that there could be even be uh, approval uh, by the end of the year or certainly very, very early into next year, which means that will be rolled out straight away. So we're, we could be seeing sizable vaccinations going on you know, therefore, we're looking at sort of April time. Maybe we've got uh, the bulk of those most at risk, the sort of um, 55s and over. That's probably you, Guy, yeah? Um, yep. will, be, will be vaccinated. Um, and then, you know, that means, therefore, we can get away from, from all these lockdowns. So the economic shock uh, is going to be in quarter one. It probably could push a double-dip recession because quarter four uh, probably won't be as bad as people feared, but still, you know, it's down, well down from quarter three, which was huge. So we've got this up-down, up-down roller coaster, but we should expect, in theory, quarter two to be very strong and uh, hopefully the rest of 2021 if, you know, we have this Brexit deal. And the, the bank reacts to this how? Well, I mean, there was talk, um, uh, Gershon of Liga, one of the... Uh, Outside uh, members on the, on the monetary policy committee said they could have a um, intra uh, regular meeting meeting in a sense an emergency one. Uh, well, they always could, but I don't think they will do this. Certainly not on the deal. Um, but you know, the, the, the Bank of England was was nine zip uh, last time around. They've, they've got 150 billion already in um, waiting to, to, to the next, for the next financial year. So there's plenty of ammo there uh, to support the economy through quarter one. Uh, this is much more probably going to be fiscal support. I would imagine now the monetary policy is already in place. And already we've had Haldane, who's chief economist of Bank of England, sort of grumbling about maybe, you know, he's gone completely opposite way to uh, a couple of the yeah, outside he's worried members. about inflation. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic, this. Um, and I think we could get some short-term inflation for a number of different reasons, just for supply chains and, and, and just the, the whole shake-up, regardless of the Brexit deal or not, uh, of leaving the European Union. So... There is potential for some short-term inflation. I think that's something that the banking should look through and probably will look through. Um, and in actual fact, probably the best thing for the economy might be a little bit of inflation. Um, it could stir the animal spirits up, and that's necessarily not a not thing to uh, worry about. I fear much more for the risk that, for instance, the European Union face, which is, which is actual deflation. That's a far more serious uh, risk at the moment. Marcus... 
have a fantastic Christmas. This uh, this pre-Christmas Eve, obviously bringing relatively bad news for, for those of uh, us that live just down the road from Marcus. But anyway, thank you. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Uh, 5.40, welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. I'm Guy Johnson. Uh, let's talk about the dollar. Um, we have seen an interesting dynamic developing in the United States today where the President of the United States seems to want to block a $900 billion deal that was done by Congress to provide relief to those most in need in the uh, the U.S. economy. Um, whether or not he's uh, bluffing, we will wait and see. But it's it's going to be interesting to see ultimately how this one plays out because it could have an impact on the Georgia runoff vote that's about to take place on the, the 5th of uh, January uh, and could have a major impact actually on the composition of Congress and, and the ability of, of the new president, the incoming Biden administration, to stimulate the U.S. economy. I, I, I set this all up because I'm just wondering if there is the possibility that this big consensus call in the market right now, that the dollar goes down in 2021, could end up being tested at some point. Let's talk to a man who's probably got a view on this. Uh, Bloomberg's Damien Sasser, Chief Emerging Markets Credit Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. Damien, everybody thinks the dollar's going down. Do you? You know, it depends. It depends what base currency we're looking at, Guy. Um, you know, I, I just have to reiterate, I mean, Marcus makes a great point here on the back of Brexit. I mean, the five-year, 30-year in U.S. Treasuries has now steepened to the widest point since November of 2016, right? It's following gilts. It's following the euro curve higher, steeper, rather. And I think that's important heading into that Jan 5th Georgia, State run- Georgia Senate runoff, because if the Dems do win, you're going to see larger stimulus, you're going to see higher rates, and you're going to see tighter conditions here in the U.S., which all begets a steeper curve. Does that mean the dollar will track that and actually rally off the back of it? It's anyone's guess. The dollar is anyone's guess. But the one thing that we have noticed here on the back of Brexit guy is currencies really aren't moving that much, which no, leads me to believe yeah. that that all the banks, the biggest movers, I mean, the last two years we saw the cross-currency basis swap spreads move violently into the year-end turn. We're not seeing that this year. Why? That's because everyone's hoarded up all the dollars and they've hedged through the year-end turn. So uh, I do not believe we're going to see a lot of uh, impact on FX, the, the likes of which I guess markets have been expecting on the on this Brexit news. Yeah, it's amazing. I, the, the, the bond market, as you say, the 30-year, the, the, the longer duration kind of story's been been one to focus on but as you say the currency market hasn't um be interesting to see whether or not that kind of positioning unwinds next year um just in, from your world though emerging markets if we if we were to see a stronger dollar next year how much does that undercut the argument well, I think the case for a stronger dollar really is grounded in dollar yuan, right? The fact that China's got, you know, current account surplus, it's got wide real yield differentials relative to the U.S., and quite frankly, it's well ahead of the U.S. in terms of its recovery, right? And it's projected to grow its GDP at, call it, 9% year over year next year. All good things that are supporting yuan strength. I think the real sort of disconnect is where does euro dollar head from here, right? I mean, we saw both the euro and the yuan appreciate relative to the, to the dollar this year. Are we going to see that sort of virtuous cycle again next year? It's anyone's guess, but I can tell you, if you just look at the street, the street is very divided on where the euro heads from here. And if the euro begins to weaken relative to the dollar for all the things you're saying, right, the fact that it's going to grow at a more slow pace, that perhaps um, it'll take a little bit more time in the euro, euro area for, for the vaccinations to take hold and whatnot, yeah, I definitely believe you could see the dollar rally. It's certainly not going to be as directional as we saw here in 2020. 
just want to talk to you about China. Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor to incoming President Joe Biden, was tweeting out suggesting that the EU should just kind of slow down a little bit uh, on securing a comprehensive agreement on investment with China. Um, what does that tell you about kind of the possibility of a joined-up approach being taken by the EU and, Ch- uh, and the US? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think the first order of business here in the US is going to be to see Biden reverse or sort of reinterpret these executive orders that Trump's passed through over the better part of the last month and a half, let's call it. You know, so so that's got to happen first and foremost. But you know, the potential for an unwinding of some tariffs, absolutely, the U.S. is going to be working in conjunction with the EU to sort of you know get that under control. And then, hell, I mean, are we going to see a resumption of the U.S.-China you know special economic development? Are we going to see um, you know U.S. The U.S. basically sort of back off on some of these, you know, kind of arguments they have against China's manipulation of the currency. All remains to be seen. All good questions. We really don't have an answer for you here. But I do believe dollar yuan is is really the catalyst here for uh, EM currency currency appreciation in the new year. Looking forward to your coverage of that. Uh, Thank you very much indeed, Damien. Have a happy holiday. Bloomberg's Damien Sasser. Up next, Anthony Fauci. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. 48 minutes past the hour. So earlier today, uh, my good friend and colleague David Weston spoke to Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, where he's the director. They talked about the vaccine rollout. They talked about U.S. stimulus and they talked about precautions regarding the new variant found in the U.K. It is definitely needed because vaccine distribution is a critical issue because A, you could produce, first of all, there are multiple steps. Is the vaccine safe and effective? Well, thank goodness, it is not only safe and effective, it is highly efficacious, 94 to 95%. So we're starting off, luckily, with a really good product. The next thing is producing it. The next thing is distributing it, getting it to where it needs to go, And then the third thing is at the local public health level, getting it into the arms of individuals. And that can be a complicated issue. It's very easy to do when you go to the hospital and you say, we're going to vaccinate healthcare providers. They're all there. They all come to work. They're all healthcare providers. You line them up and you stick it in their arm. But when you got to go out into the community, particularly in those communities that don't have good access to healthcare, those are the situations that are going to require resources to help expedite the distribution of vaccine to those people. Uh, We learned this week, actually last weekend, about a new strain of the coronavirus that they found in England. Uh, The Prime Minister Boris Johnson came out and said, this is a real problem. They've shut down a lot of Southeast England. They've even shut down some of the relations with the travel coming in and out of England. What do we know about this new strain? How new is it? Well, it's new in that the people in the UK, the Brits, noticed it, as you said, about a few weeks ago. It is dominating the situation in the southeastern part of the uh, of the UK. It seems to be the suggestion that it may be transmitted more easily and more efficiently because the mutation is at an area that allows it to bind more efficiently to the receptor on the cell that allows you to get infected. Looking at whether or not it makes individuals more severely ill, according to these preliminary reports, no, that does not seem to be the case. The next question one asks is that does the mutation interfere with the efficacy of a vaccine in inducing protection? Thus far, there's no indication that that's the case. However, 
Having said that, we need to take this seriously and we need to investigate it much further. As you and I are speaking now, that's going on in a very intense way. Both in the UK, here in the United States, we at the NIH are, are uh, in uh, communication with our colleagues in the UK to try and get the isolate to work with so that we can do the kinds of experiments that would give us a better feel for what the ultimate impact might be. So bottom line is we are all over this, but it is something we need to keep our eye on and take seriously. The CEO of BioNTech, the partner to Pfizer for the first uh, vaccine, has said that if in fact, and he said he's not sure that it's necessary, but if they needed to modify the vaccine for this new strain, it would take something like six weeks. Does that sound reasonable to you? And then what would the approval process be of that new modification of the Pfizer vaccine? Well, you know, when, when you have a, that's actually an interesting thing with regards to vaccinology. You've gone, we've gone through all of the appropriate hoops. So let's take the Pfizer product. There were 44,000 people in the Pfizer trial. It was shown to be highly efficacious and safe. So if they take that same vaccine construct and just um, essentially pull out one of the components and stick in the new one, as they were saying, they said that that would take them six weeks to ramp it up, test it for safety in a bunch of people and say, we're good to go. I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean, they'd have to really move quickly, but I don't think that that's unreasonable to be able to do that. It's going to be dependent on the regulatory authorities who say, since we have so much data on the original product, we don't really need that much more data. This is just a variation of a strain change. And the terminology terminology, strain change in regulatory authorities like the FDA means much, much, much less going through the hoops to get it approved than if you get a brand new vaccine. We do that with flu vaccines every year. What we're doing is a strain change. So you don't have to go through a big clinical trial every single year when you change the flu vaccine. One of the questions raised by this UK development is what's the proper, the smart response, the effective response? Uh, as you say, it appears perhaps it's more uh, contagious, although perhaps not more virulent. We saw any number of countries now saying, please don't have any flights coming in from England. France for a time even banned cargo shipments, although that's become off. Uh, what is prudent as a practical matter? You know, that's being very actively discussed. I mean, many of us, and I think myself included, think right now at this point, completely shutting down travel from countries like the UK is might just be an overreach a bit. Maybe not. Maybe we'll reach a point where we have to do that. But right now, I don't think that's the case. One of the things that's being very actively discussed uh, is the idea that in order for a person to come from the UK to the United States, before they board the plane, they have to have a very recent negative uh, COVID-19 test. So that you're not stopping them from traveling, but they're saying the only way you're going to get into the country is if right before you get on the flight, you have a documented negative test. In fact, Governor Cuomo, as you know, is asking for that for flights from the UK to New York City. As a practical matter, given the fact it appears that this new strain in the UK has been there for a while now, uh, is it likely it's already in Europe and the United States? Well, I have said, and I, I will I will stand by that, that A, we don't know if it's here. We're looking, we're doing surveillance, sequencing to see 
if it's here. But I had said, and I, and, I, and I still feel that way, I would not be surprised, given the prevalence of this in the UK, that we already have cases here at a low level that we haven't detected yet. Not proven, but I would not be surprised if we did. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, speaking to Bloomberg's David Weston a little bit earlier on today. Um, that just about wraps things up um, before Christmas. We will not be here tomorrow. Uh, there is a uh, half-day market trading yes, uh, trading tomorrow, um, but we will be back uh, at the beginning of next week. Have a very happy holiday. This was The Cable. This is Bloomberg.